You are listening to the teaching podcast of Praise Community Church in Mason City, Iowa. For more information about our church, please visit praisecc.org. We're continuing in our series, and we've been really kind of focusing on probably one of the most well-known teachings of Jesus, and that is the Sermon on the Mount, as found in Matthew chapter 5. Now, the Sermon on the Mount... It is probably one of Jesus' most comprehensive statements on grace, how we're to cooperate, how we're to move in the grace of God. Now, Jesus desires in this teaching that we would be intentionally, deliberately focused on developing and maintaining these eight virtues in our lives. The eight Beatitudes, in a sense, it kind of reveals, it shows to us what God is like and his desires of how we are to live out this life as believers. Again, each one of these Beatitudes kind of begins in the same way. Blessed are, blessed are, blessed are, blessed are again. It's telling us that the pathway where this is leading us to is toward a blessed life. And so again, it's also uh, these teachings really are there to try to help us to create, uh, to kind of deepen a vibrant and a a vibrant heart, a vibrant spirit towards God that we are able to kind of just experience the presence of God in our hearts and in our spirits. So again, out of that vibrant heart, When our heart just becomes alive unto God, again, out of that, you will begin to enjoy the word. You you will begin to enjoy, uh, and you'll begin to cultivate a deeper sense of of prayer. Uh, When we are, our hearts kind of become alive unto God, we will be captivated, we'll be fascinated, we'll be drawn deeper and deeper and deeper into his presence. And there will just kind of come this anointing upon your lives and upon your ministries. Now again, apart from pursuing these eight beatitudes in our lives, again, you're just going to have a dull spirit. I mean, the word is going to be boring to you. Prayer is going to be difficult. As a matter of fact, it'll be very difficult for you to even engage. And when you do engage, it's just going to be very, very difficult for you to kind of pursue at any length in that. So again, we'll be spiritually kind of bored with God, and again, we'll just feel a distance um, between us and Him. When these eight Beatitudes, when we just begin to incorporate them, when we just begin to kind of live them out in our lives, and again, it awakens our heart, and it infuses us with just this spiritual vibrancy toward the heart of God. Now again, most believers will try anything but these eight beatitudes, okay? But again, it's only going to lead you to disappointment, to, to dissatisfaction, to unfulfillment. These eight beatitudes and the reason Jesus teaches them is because it is a very intentional, it is a deliberate, consistent lifestyle. And again, it is the pathway to blessedness that God desires for us. So these eight Beatitudes, as we've been kind of looking at these these last couple of weeks, it's not one of the ways to blessedness. It is the way. It is the way to blessedness. 
So it is important that we not only understand what Jesus is talking about in these teachings, but also that we're striving, and that's the key. Nobody does these perfectly, always, fully, okay? But that we're striving. We've made a commitment to pursue these into our daily lives. And so far, as we've kind of gotten into this teaching um, there in Matthew 5, we have kind of looked at uh, the first, uh, at least first half of those. Again, blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. Blessed are the meek, they shall inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be satisfied. Last week we talked about um, blessed are the merciful, for they shall receive mercy. And all of these are on the website, are they, aren't they, Jason, for audio teachings? Yes. So if you've missed any of those, I would just encourage you to get on the web page and you can uh, download and listen to those. Today we're going to look at the sixth beatitude found there in Matthew 5, uh, verse 8. And he says, blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. Now again, the, the, the focus of these beatitudes is God is wanting to create to sustain, to deepen vibrancy and fascination in our hearts toward God. And that will never, ever happen to the degree that God desires it to happen until there comes a purity of heart. So one of the issues at play here in each of the Beatitudes is the condition of our heart before God. That is the key thing. God looks at our heart. I can't see your heart. You can't see my heart. But God sees all of our hearts. And so one of the issues at play in Scripture here is always, what is the condition of your heart? Where is your heart toward God? While it's directly implied in the other Beatitudes, Jesus kind of makes this standalone statement and he says, without purity of heart, you will not see God. Now, that's the opposite of what Jesus says. When you have purity in heart, you're going to see God. But the opposite is also true. Without purity of heart, you are not going to see or you're not going to experience God. So the fulfilling of these other beatitudes is really dependent on the, on the position, on the condition, the soil of your heart. So as I look at this verse, there really kind of are two operative words in that for me that I think are important to understand, and that is the word pure and heart. So I want to just kind of look at those two words for just a moment, and, and just so we can kind of capture better what Jesus is really talking about here. Now the word heart is a heart, we, it's just a word we talk about a lot around here. You know, what's happening in your heart? What is your heart towards God? What is your heart toward other people? Okay, the word heart in the Greek language is the word cardia, and it's where we get the English word cardiac. Now, again, the word heart here in Matthew 5, 8, it's not referring to your physical organ, that muscle that kind of pumps blood throughout the rest of your body. The word cardia, heart, that Jesus is talking about here is Jesus is talking about that inner place. That, that seat, that inner seat of where your feelings, your passions, your affections, your desires, your impulses reside. That's what Jesus is talking about when he refers to 
pure in heart, on that word heart. He's not, again, talking about the physical organ. He's talking about that inner seat where your feelings, your passions, your emotions, your affections reside. And Jesus refers to this inner place uh, in the heart many, many times in Scripture. Uh, One most notably is in Matthew 15, 19. And again, he says, for out of the heart. Again, that inner seat, that inner center. Uh, of humanity's, what I would describe as that mental, moral activity. And he says, it is from that place, that heart, that inner center, come evil thoughts, murders, adulteries, fornications, thefts, false witness, slanders. Now, interestingly, the heart is also, as you can kind of see from the video, what it, that, that God has written some things on our hearts. So the heart is also a place where the divine influence of God uh, is active. So it, it is seen as the sphere of divine influence. Now, Romans 2.15 kind of refers to this, and it says, They demonstrate that God's laws are written in their heart for their own conscience and thoughts either accuse or tell them they are doing right. That's the job of your conscience. It's not to shut it down. It's not to ignore it. It's to listen to what your conscience is saying because the Bible says that it is the conscience that is going to begin to reveal to you what is written on your hearts, what's happening in your hearts. And Paul says your conscience, your heart, that inner seat, it is going to do one of two things. It is going to accuse you or it is going to tell you you're doing right. So whenever you're doing something you should not be doing and you hear that inner voice, that's your conscience. That is the law of God speaking. And it's saying to you, don't steal that. Don't abuse that. Don't drink that. Don't go there. Don't date him. Don't marry her. Don't move there. That's the Holy Spirit. And he's speaking to your hearts. And and it's your conscience. And God is using that to communicate. He's using that to give you direction for your life. We need to begin to understand how God is speaking to us. Begin to listen and be obedient to that. That, That's really, I mean, man, if you can master that, you got it. that's That's the hardest part for most of us is we want to shut that voice down, we want to shut it off, sometimes even just temporarily. And you know, until the deed is done, until the good time's been had, then we'll, we'll flip the switch back on. So again, that is the Holy Spirit speaking to your heart, to your conscience, to your inner being, where your desires, your feelings, your affections, your passions, your impulses are and God is trying to influence you in a better way a better direction for your life whether you realize it or not whether you're conscious of it or not I believe God is always trying to influence and speak to that inner center of your mental and moral activity God is always trying to draw you more and more deeply into his presence 
And he does that through the power, the presence of the Holy Spirit. He's transforming. He's renewing. He's changing you. From one degree of glory, the scripture says, to an even greater degree of glory. He's transforming you to make you more and more like him. And one of the avenues that God uses is he's, he's speaking to your heart. He's speaking to your conscience through the Holy Spirit. We get people here all the time. I mean, I, had, I mean, it, there's rarely a Sunday that goes by where I don't have someone that comes up to me following the service and they'll say, I felt like it, what you were saying this morning, I just felt like it was exactly what I needed to hear. I mean, it, it almost kind of freaked me out because I thought maybe you were reading my emails. And I assure them I'm not. I don't work for the NSA. Um, but again, it's a work of the Holy Spirit. And the beautiful thing is, is a lot of times the Holy Spirit will give me the words that I'm to speak on Sunday. And then, so he does his part in me and then he'll do his part in you in that he draws you here. Some of you for the first time, it may be the only time. And you're here that particular Sunday because God has a message he wants to speak to you through me. Now, I always say when, when God has to use me to speak to you, it is a sign you are in a desperate place. And you all laugh about that because you know it's true, but you keep coming back every Sunday. That's me laughing at you. So again, whether you're a Christian or not, I mean, you may be here this morning. This is your first time here. God has drawn you to this place. He has you here for a specific purpose. And he's wanting to use this service, not just me, the whole of the service, to, again, work through you, to influence, to challenge you this morning, uh, to, to, again, to, to renew your heart, to renew your spirit. Again, just to bring you into his presence. He's here this morning because he wants to influence your thoughts, your passions, your attitudes, your affections, your impulses. And again, the heart, that inner core, that inner being, that inner place of your, of your moral, mental activity. Again, from that is where all of the issues of life spring forth from. So God has a vested interest in influencing those areas of your heart. Now that's the word heart. The, the word pure in the Greek uh, carries with it a variety of uses. Um, and they all really kind of speak to the meaning of what Jesus is talking about here in Matthew 5, 8. Now, originally, it simply meant clean, like if you were to take dirty clothes and, and wash them and get the dirt uh, out. So it's those things that have been made clean by washing. It was a term that had also been used um, when they were separating the wheat from the chaff. It's also a, a, a term that is kind of used to describe an army of fighters who have kind of been purified into... Uh, and they just have been kind of whittled down into a kind of this regimen of first-class uh, fighters. It's also used to describe metal uh, that has really been purged of all of its impurities. So that is the word uh, pure there. And so one of the basic uh, meanings of that word, again, is, is, is it's just someone who is unmixed. They're unadulterated. Uh, unsoiled, they're, they're so pure that they're cleansed. So when it comes to that phrase, pure in heart, Jesus is talking about someone 
whose center of life, the seat of their entire moral, mental activity, what I would call the rational and emotional elements of your heart have been made clean. They've been purified. They're unmixed. They're undivided. I, I loved that whole concept as I was kind of studying that out of just this undivided heart um, before God. Again, it, it's my heart isn't here during the week and then my heart is here on Sunday morning. It, 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 is, it just brings together uh, the whole of who I am. It doesn't compartmentalize my life. Now again, nobody does this perfectly, fully, always. Again, what God is looking at is, are you striving toward that? And again, that heart, you know, when, when, when he says, love the Lord your God with all of your heart, mind, soul, and strength. What he's talking about in there is just love the Lord your God with all of your emotions. That's why a lot of you will be lifting hands and clapping and, you know, um, just going crazy. Because, again, you're, you're, you're loving God with your emotions. Um, some of us, you know, we're not as emotional in worship. And that's okay. It, it's it, We're taking our emotions and we're using those emotions to love God. So, you know, love the Lord your God with all your passion. Uh, with all of your affection, you know, with, with all of your desire. That's, that's what he's talking about um, in there. So again, this is someone who has been made clean. They're unmixed, unadulterated by virtue of what happened on our behalf on the cross of Christ. And we just celebrated that in communion. Again, let me just emphasize, this is not a work of the flesh. I'm not, I'm not telling you that you got to whip your flesh into shape. I'm not telling you you got to get the old man, you know, and you, you got to just start trying harder. You just got to get more committed. That's, that is, that's a work of the flesh. What I'm talking about here is a work of the spirit that we cooperate with. We come into agreement with, this is what the word says, this is what God's calling me to, this is how God is calling me to live. And again, nobody does that fully, perfectly, always. But are you striving? Are you willing? Are you pursuing it? That's what God looks at when he looks at your heart. So again, it, it is this sense that he is working in our lives. It is a work of the Holy Spirit from start to finish. Now, Jesus tells in Matthew 5, 8 that it is one of the blessings. And again, one of the benefits of, of that, having a pure heart, is you're going to see God. And I don't mean that you're going to leave the building and God's going to be standing on a street corner waving at you. Okay, it's not that kind of seeing God. God can do that, um, but I, I just don't look for it. Okay? One of the promises of Scripture for the believers is that one day beyond this earthly life, we will behold God. We will see God with our Eyes, we will gaze upon God's brilliance. Until that time, one of the ways that you and I can see God in this life is, is through our capacity, our ability to experience God's power and presence in us through the indwelling of the Holy Spirit. We talk about the Holy Spirit here a lot because it's such an important, integral part of what it means to walking out the Christian faith. I love this when Paul talks about this in 2 Corinthians 4, 7. There he wrote, but we have this treasure. The Holy Spirit is a treasure. 
And he's, Paul says it is a treasure in earthen vessels. Your body, that is that earthen vessel. And you contain this treasure of the Holy Spirit. That the surpassing greatness of the power will be of God and not from ourselves. That's the purpose of the treasure in that earthen vessel is that so the surpassing greatness, that's what God wants to begin to unveil and to unleash in your life is that unsurpassing greatness and for you to recognize this isn't me, this is God in me, God through me. So that's what Paul's talking about there. And again, one of the desires of the Holy Spirit is he wants to increase and he wants to deepen your experience and capacity for his power, his presence in and through your lives. And Jesus says one of the pathways for that to become a reality in our lives is through a pure heart. So what does a pure heart look like? The three main places that, that I could find where God is looking to establish purity of heart in the life of the believer is in our thoughts, our words, and our deeds. I mean, boy, if God can conquer those three areas, those three realms, we're, 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 pretty, we're pretty well on our way toward a pure heart. Again, everything we think, everything we say, everything we do, it, it flows out of, it is a byproduct of what is happening in our hearts, that inner place of our being. Now, oftentimes, one of the mistakes we make as believers is we kind of tend to want to focus more on words and deeds. And we kind of want to push off the thoughts. We kind of want to relegate them to a place of, of unimportance. This is typically how the Pharisees uh, uh, approached life. And, and it was then that they would often find themselves on the receding end of some of Jesus' harshest words. Uh, in, one, in one place, in Mark 7, following one encounter with the Pharisees, Jesus reminded them that what you're exhibiting here, Pharisees, what's happening amongst you is something Isaiah prophesied. And then he quotes to them the, the prophecy from Isaiah. And he says in verse 6, this people honors me with their lips, their words. But their hearts, their passions, their desires, their affections, their influences. Jesus says their hearts, that inner being, that inner center of their life. But their hearts are far from me. On another occasion in Matthew 23, 7, responding to the Pharisees and the teachers of the law. Jesus likens them to this. He says, you are like whitewashed tombs which look beautiful on the outside, but on the inside, again, that inner center, that inner being of your heart, he said, are full of dead men's bones um, and of the dead and everything unclean. So again, Jesus kind of speaks to this, the, the whole realm of this. It's not just your words and your deeds. If that's all you're concerned about and you don't deal with the purity of thoughts, you're going to lose. You're going to lose the battle. A lot of what happens in your, your outward, in your words, in your deeds are things that happened in your thoughts. And they're simply, your thoughts are manifesting themselves in word and in deed. So purity of heart, again, it is not about being perfect 
but rather it, are you moving in that direction toward perfection? Again, this is so important to hear because a lot of times the pushback on this is, is we just kind of think what Jesus is calling here for is purity of heart always perfectly fully. It's not about that. If that's what it was about, all of us would be doomed from the beginning. I love what John Wesley, who was a founder of Methodism, he was often fond of saying to his followers, he would often say uh, to them, are you going on to perfection? Not are you perfect? He says, are you going on to it? Are you striving toward perfection? Are you pursuing perfection? Meaning, again, are, are, you, are you wanting, are you desiring, are you praying to become more and more perfect toward God? Being more perfect like him in every way. Again, purity of heart is not ever making a mistake or never failing. That is not purity of heart. If purity of heart was always having to be perfect fully all the time, none of us would have purity of heart. You look at every great man or woman of God. Outside of Jesus Christ, he was perfect. But you look at every other man or woman of God, both in the Bible and outside of the Bible, every one of them, regardless of how obedient they were or how much they loved God, they all had their moments, their times, their seasons of failures and mistakes. I mean, just look at King David, for example. I mean, here's a man that the Bible says in 1 Samuel 13, 14, and again in Acts 13, 22, describes David as a man after God's own heart. And, and you know, God has a heart. God has passions and desires and affections and influences that he wants to imprint, that God wants to begin to renew and to transform inside of us. So here was a, here was a man who was seeking to experience as much of God's power and presence in his lives. How many of you remember some of the things David did? Here was a man who, who uh, committed adultery with Bathsheba, got her pregnant, and when he couldn't pass the baby off as someone else's, he had her husband, Uriah, killed just to cover over his mistakes, his failures, and his crimes. And after all of that, God still blesses and uses David. When you look at David's confession... For all of this in Psalm 51, again, I'm just going to kind of take a little bit of time to read through this because this is so important uh, to understand what David did in that pursuing of God, in that pursuing of purity of heart. And, and so David writes this right after, this is his prayer of confession, this is right after Nathan confronts him and kind of just, you know, reveals him, his, his sin with Bathsheba, his crime with Uriah, and there David writes in response to all of this, be gracious to me, O God, according to your loving kindness. This is all God, it is all directed it all needs to come from God. This has got to be a work of God in David's heart. David brings nothing to this but sin, failure, and mistake. And in the midst of all of that, his heart's cry to God is, Be gracious unto me, O God, not according to anything about me, but according to your loving kindness. 
according to the greatness of your compassion. Nothing about the overwhelming stupidity of mine, but the overwhelming compassion of your greatness. Blot out my transgressions. Wash me thoroughly from my iniquity and cleanse me from my sin. For I know my transgressions and my sin is ever before me. And he says, against you, you only, I have sinned and done what is evil in your sight. So you are justified, God, when you speak, blameless when you judge. He says, behold, it was brought forth in iniquity, and in sin my mother conceived me. And he said, behold, you desire truth in the innermost being. That is the center. That's the heart. And David recognizes, and his prayer is, you desire truth in the innermost being, and in the hidden part, you will make me know wisdom. God is writing wisdom on your hearts this morning. He says, purify me with hyssop, and I shall be clean. Wash me, and I shall be whiter than snow. I love this. This is, this is, this next line, I love this. It says, make me to hear joy and gladness. If you're here this morning, and I, I'm not, I don't want to make light of this, but if you're here this morning and you're struggling with depression, this is a great prayer. Make me, God, because only you can do it. Make me to hear joy and gladness. Let the bones which you have broken rejoice. Hide your face from my sin and blot out all of my iniquities. And then this is, this is probably my favorite part of this psalm create that is a process folks that is not a one-time job that is not that you go from imperfect uh, to perfect this whole concept here create it's a process create in me a clean heart yesterday create in me a clean heart today create in me a clean heart tomorrow and all of my tomorrows create in me a clean heart oh God and renew a steadfastness, a steadfast spirit within me. That steadfast spirit, I'm just going to continue to walk in greater and greater degrees of obedience. God, I need a steadfastness about my spirit, about my obedience to you. Do not cast me away from your presence. And do not take your Holy Spirit from me. He recognized the importance, the vitalness of the Holy Spirit. Restore to me the joy of your salvation and sustain me with a willing spirit. Again, a willingness to do what you're calling me to do. A few verses later, David continues, verse 16, for you do not delight in sacrifice. In other words, you're not calling me to go get a bull, a goat, and to sacrifice that on the altar. He said, I would give it. If that's all it took, if that's all you were asking, I would do it. He said, but you're not, so I won't. He said, you are not pleased with burnt offering. The sacrifices of God are a broken spirit, a broken and contrite heart. Oh God, you will not despise. You will not look away. You will not turn away. Again, notice how much David refers and speaks about heart in that prayer of repentance. In that prayer, David gives us the keys 
but how to pursue, how to seek after, how to strive for perfection and purity of heart, even in the midst of our failures, our mistakes, and our sins. Now, here's the thing to keep in mind when you're striving, when you're pursuing purity of heart. As a believer, and I'm talking about somebody who's born again, God is more interested in the direction, the positioning, and the pursuit of your heart before him than he is in the mistakes and failures you make. Let me just say that again. This is important for some of you. This is, this is the price of admission. As a believer, if you're here this morning and you're born again and you're pursuing purity of heart, okay, God is more interested. He's more focused in the direction, the position, and the pursuit of your heart before him than he is in your mistakes and failures. He is more interested, more focused on your attitude than your actions. God is more interested in why you do what you do than in what you do. Okay? There are many examples of people in Scripture who did the right thing, but for the wrong reason, and God says, it's no good. It doesn't count for anything. One example, in Mark 12, beginning in verse 41, Jesus sat down opposite the treasury, began observing how the people were putting money into the treasury, and many rich people were putting in large chunks of change. A poor widow came and put in two small copper coins, which amounted to a penny. Calling his disciples to himself, Jesus said to them, Truly, I say to you, this poor widow put in more money than all the contributors to the treasury, for they all put out in out of their surplus, but she, out of her poverty, put in all she owed, all she had to live on. Again, Jesus is taking note of this woman's attitude. And Jesus is, is, is impressed more with her attitude than the fact that all she's putting in is a penny. God is more interested in the direction, the position, the posture of your heart. Are you striving for purity of heart? Do you desire it? Are you asking God, God created me, it's a process. God created me a clean heart. God is more interested in that than he is the failures and the mistakes of your life. That's why important, you know, forgiveness is such an integral, important part of our relationship with God and each other. So as a believer in those times where you do experience failures and, and, and mistakes and sins, you simply confess that to God. You confess that to those you've wronged. You repent in that you just turn away from those things that, that are causing the mistakes, the failures, and the sins. And you just continue moving forward with God. God, I want to reposition my heart before you. And God, in this pursuit of you, create in me a clean heart. Give me a steadfast spirit. Give me a willingness to obey you. I haven't done very good at that in these last couple of days. But God, now I'm asking, create in me a clean heart. That is what God is more interested in. Wow. Wow. I'm out of time. Okay. I think you get me. May have gotten more of me than you wanted to. 
Let me just close with a scripture verse. Uh, It's Ephesians 4.20 back there. Sophie, if you can find that. Now to him who is able to do. To him, not to you. Not to me. But to him. To him. Our loving, gracious, heavenly father. Now to him who is able to do far more abundantly beyond all we think or ask according to the power, the treasure that is in these earthen vessels, to the power that works in us. If you're here this morning and and you are desiring purity of heart, because you know out of that you're going to experience God, you're going to experience vibrancy of heart, your your heart is just going to come alive unto God. Because that's what he says, when you're pure in heart, you're going to see, you're going to experience God. And so this, this can be our prayer this morning, now to you, oh gracious, loving God, who desires truth, David said, in my innermost being, now to you, who is able to do what I cannot do apart from you, I cannot do without you. To him who is able, who is willing, he desires, he wants this for you. To do far more abundantly beyond all we think or ask according to the power he's deposited the Holy Spirit in you. To give you the power to do what you otherwise would not be able to do that works with us. That's our response, that's what he's looking for. This morning, God, I want that power to work in me. That, God, you would cause me to pursue, to desire, to strive for purity of heart. Because in that I know that my heart will come alive unto you, to your words, your power, your presence in my life. Amen? Let's stand. Father, we just again thank you. Lord, as your word says, we just ask you, God, to do what is beyond our ability to do apart from you. According to that power, that treasure, that Holy Spirit that works within us, God, would you just create in us a pure heart, a clean heart. God, would you create in us a desire to strive, to pursue that clean, pure heart, because God, in that we know that we will see, we will experience you afresh and anew. And God, that is our hope, that is our prayer. God, would you just sustain us? God, would you just give us a willing spirit? A spirit, God, that is willing and steadfast to obey you, to follow hard after you. And God, none of us in this room do this perfectly, fully, always. So for God, those times, those seasons of our lives, God, where maybe we've gotten away from it, this morning is a time like David, God, where we can just pour out our hearts before you. You already see our hearts, God. You're just waiting for us to acknowledge that before you. And God, knowing that you're not a God who just enjoys seeing us, in our failures and in our mistakes, but that God, through your son, Jesus Christ, you've made a way for us to come to you. 
We just thank you, God, that when we confess our sins, you're faithful and just to forgive us, to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. And that's just, again, that that aspect of creating in us a clean heart. And so, Father, this morning we just come to you, not out of any perfection of our own, God, but again, just a desire to know you and to experience you. Just to have, again, that pure, clean heart before you, Father. We just come. We thank you for that treasure, that power that works in us. And so, God, would you just come and just have your way in us this morning. We just pray pray and ask all of this in Jesus' name. Amen. Thanks for listening. For more information about Praise Community Church, including gathering times and events, please visit us at praisecc.org.